Hello, Mountain. Really, really glad you're here. Uh, whatever campus you're joining us at, uh, really glad you're here. I bet some were kind of checking us out on Easter and you're back and boy, we're just, we got room for you. We're glad you're here. It's a, it's a great place to be. And uh, now here's the thing. I, you know, a lot of you present like you're kind of sophisticated upper crust uh, highbrow types. But I, I have a strong suspicion that there's a whole bunch of country hicks here. And I think I can prove my point. Here's the, here's the deal. So I'm going to play a song, an old country song, and I'm just going to let it play for about 30 seconds. And then I'm going to stop it abruptly. And if you know the words that come next, I want you to belt it out as loud as you can. Will you do that? Come on, I'll be honest. All right, go ahead and play the song. Here we go. See, I rest my case. A lot of high-class folk right here in Mountain. A little less talk and what? A lot more action. That sleazy, cheesy old country song actually has a really important truth packed right in the center of it, which is a lot about what we're talking about here. And we all know this to be true. And that is this, that at the end of the day, love isn't just something you think about, you talk about, you wish were true, or you meant to do. At the end of the day, it's a little less talk and a lot more action because love does. Love does. Love changes stuff. Love, love makes stuff happen. Love goes out of its way and risks and reaches and does stuff. And it all is what we're talking about. It's actually, there's a book called Love Does. It's awesome. It's hilarious by Bob Goff. He's going to be here in a few weeks. You're not going to want to miss it. If you hate reading, this is a good book for you. It's funny and uh, interesting and engaging. It'll make you want to love. And you know, all of this really stems from God himself. We're a couple we, we're a week after Easter. God didn't just look at our problem. He sent his son. God sent his son. Jesus loved and then Jesus raised from the dead. That power is what starts with God and can come to us and then happen through us. You know, we're, we're, just to make clear where we're starting, we'll look at 1 John 4, uh, 7 and 8. Here's what it says. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. Check this. For love comes from God. That's where it comes from. It's who God is. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. doesn't matter what you say. If you don't love, because God is love. Does that make sense? Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, he's referring to sending his son to die on the cross for us, we surely ought to love each other. And then I love John 15. John 15, 12 says this. This is, this is Jesus talking. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the, what does it say? in the same way that I have loved you. Well, how did he love us? We're going to look today at one of the ways that Jesus loved us. And it's the same way that we're meant to love others. And sometimes when we talk about stuff, you know, it's, we start to discount ourselves like, well, I can't do that. 
or I'm kind of new at this, or I don't, I'm not good enough, or, or whatever. We kind of take ourselves out of the game. But I promise you, what we're talking about today is something that everybody can do, and everybody should do. Because what we're talking about today is an aspect of love where we just realize that when love does, sometimes the best thing it ever does is just it loves in person. It shows up. Because sometimes the best way to love someone is just to be with them. To be with them. One of the most powerful ways we ever love sometimes is to give the gift of our presence. Sometimes we think about a present or a presence being like a box with a bow on it, but the best gift you can give is the gift of your presence. Being there, showing up, listening ears, hands to help, a heart that cares. You, in the flesh, being there. Carl and I were at a retreat this weekend with some mountain folk, and we got to kind of a culminating moment in this um, retreat. We were singing a song that we like to sing around here called about the good, good father, right? And honestly, it was kind of an emotional moment, but because of what had happened just prior to then, Carl and I were standing on the opposite sides of the room. So we're singing along in this song and kind of getting into it, and then I looked up, and there I saw Carla walking across the room, right in front of everybody, right in, right, right in front of the projector. I don't think she cared because somehow she sensed that it was important for us to stand together in that moment. And as we clasped hands and sang that song together, I was so glad she came over. And I don't know why, but maybe you know why. I, I can't explain it. I just think it's something about the power of presence and to be with sometimes. When I was about six years old, uh, I was up north at the cabin in Minnesota. We were at my cousin, the Miller's Cabin. And it was late at night, and it was time for me to go home to my cabin and go to bed. Well, that meant I had to walk down the dirt road to get to my cabin, and it was pitch black out, no stars that night, and, and it was very scary, and I didn't want to do it. And my, I, I didn't say that, but I was just thinking, what am I going to do? I kind of, what am I going to do? And my cousin Phil, who was eight years old at the time, said, you know what he said? He said, I'll go with you. And I said, oh, no, that's okay, inside thinking, oh, please do. And he did. He walked with me, and we had the greatest time. We just loved, you know, didn't even think for a second about how scared I was at all. And, and I think every one of us has felt what that's like to have some dark and scary stretch of our life where we didn't want to do it. It was scary. And, and, and somehow, may, maybe someone came along and went with you for part of it. And you felt what we're talking about here the power of presence. When I was in elementary school, I'll tell you a little bit more than you want to know about me. Um, I, uh, I don't throw up very well. And, um, but on occasion, you know, when I get the flu, like some people, they throw up like it's, you know, going out of style all the time, easy. Not me. I think about it for days. It rumbles for hours, and then finally, like a volcano, out it comes, and, and it's a terrible thing. See, I told you I'd tell you more than you wanted to know. But at one particular time, I had the flu, hunched over the toilet, dry heaving, retching over the porcelain god. You know how it is. Terrible. And when you're in that frame of mind, you're just miserable. You don't want anyone to ask you questions. You don't want to talk to anybody. You just want the whole world to stop and you just want it to end and you're just waiting for that thing to come over. But at the same time, I remember feeling I didn't really want to be alone either. And somehow my mom knew all that. And so as I'm sitting there wretched in my misery with a sweat-soaked T-shirt, 
She just stood there quietly by me and with me with her hand on my back. And I don't know why I remember that. But I think it has to do with the power of presence and the way you sometimes say I love you by being with someone. Because sometimes the best way to say I love you and you are worth love is to simply be with someone. And you know what? Nobody does that better than God. Nobody. Love does God's style. Being with, being with is, is how God does love. Being with is how God does love. One of the best ways, in fact. And it all goes back to who God is. So God in God's sort of, who God is, is God is a relational God. God is not some impersonal force like Star Wars. He's not some sort of disinterested creator who sort of wound us up like a watch and then set us off and left us. No, no, no. God is this personal God who's a relational God and exists in this eternal relationship of Father, Son, Spirit, and there's a relationship there and then created all of creation, most notably you and me, out of this nature that God is, this relational nature. The Bible actually says that God created you in God's image and in the likeness of God. So created man and said, oh wait, it's not good for man to be alone and so makes the woman and there's this sort of relational dimension from us because we don't thrive in isolation. We're relational creatures. And it was really cool at the very beginning because God says God was with us and we were with each other. It was all awesome and swell and then it goes downhill in a hurry. Pretty, pretty soon Adam and Eve are kind of pointing at each other and hiding and looking for fig leaves to dress in and their kids are at each other and killing each other and it goes downhill in a hurry. And pretty much the whole Old Testament is God's desire to reach out to us in different ways to try to be with us again through His commands, His laws, His prophets. And it just feels like it's not going to happen. It just doesn't happen. We keep drifting like a divorce inevitably going to come between God and His people. And that's what the Old Testament is. And so all of us, all of humanity, and each of us kind of feel it in our own way. We're like these miserable crying babies looking for someone to hold us. Because with is what God is and what we were made for. I want to show you a clip. It's from comedian Michael Jr. And maybe you've heard of him. Uh, It describes a little bit what we needed then and what all of us need now. Go ahead and watch, watch the film. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now, look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky and she's baby and all that stuff. And she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby. It's okay. That was pretty awesome. (laughs) So check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything. And she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up. She hears my voice and stops crying like again. But I want you to notice what else happens 
after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because He is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what He wants you to know is that He loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Powerful word. It's the power of presence. And the beauty is that God is giving that message to each of us, just like Michael Jr. did to his baby. I'm right here. I'm right here. Never once did you ever walk alone. In fact, the Bible says even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because God says, I'm with you. I'm with you always. That's powerful. In fact, as we kind of think about that, it, it, it really is why God sent Jesus. I mean, think about it. We, we're there and it's his way of saying, I'm right here to come and be with us. Matthew chapter 1, uh, 23 describes it. It says, look, the virgin will conceive child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which literally means what? God is with us. The very name of God is him saying, I'm right here. That's who God is. He didn't send a text. He came to be with us, to love us. And then you see Jesus making sure that this is anchored in. He, he comes and He calls His disciples to follow Him. And the Bible says that they might be with Him. And He was with them. And then before He left, He says, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to all of y'all but, so it can be with you. See? And Paul says that the whole ministry of, of Jesus was about reconciling the world to Himself. What does that mean? So we can be with God again. With, with, with. It's there from the beginning. And, and, then, he, and then he says, now all y'all go out and, and love each other. Make disciples like I have. And don't worry. I, Matthew 28 says, I will go with you always. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And then you get to the very end of the Bible. So we started in Genesis with God saying, I'm going to be with you. And we get to the very end and it says it's the same way. It talks about heaven. You know what heaven is, y'all? Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, the dwelling place of God is with people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. With is what it's about. Friends, think about heaven, man. It is not a place of harps and halos and floating around in some cloud and all that garbage. It's not what it's about at all. Heaven is where we get the thing that we want the most. The thing we long for. The thing that baby was crying out for and which all of us are crying out for. And that is a father who is finally with us saying, I am right here in a way that's closer than ever. We think what we really want is a new phone or more sex or, or a new high or, or a good steak or more money, you know, because that's how we settle for things. We think that's all. But you know what? What we really want 
and what we've always wanted, what our hearts are made for is to be with God and with others. And friends, that's what heaven is, this immediate closeness where we don't have any more separation, no more tears and sorrow. We're whole. We're finally healed. All the stuff that we freak out and are screwed up about right now is gone. Think about the most awesome thing you can ever imagine in life. Multiply it times a million. That's what heaven is. You're not going to be bored. Trust me. And the main reason is we will be with God. Now, the cool thing about that is when that comes, when that finally comes, wow, it changes you. When you begin to realize that God wants to be with you. This is why Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be all freaked out about everything that's going on. He says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'll get it ready. I'll get a room all ready for you. I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you and I may be together, that you may be where I am, that we can be with each other. That's the promise that a Christian lives with every single day if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ. I love the way Augustine said it in the 4th century. He said it this way. You have made us for yourself, God. But our hearts are restless, like that crying baby, restless, until they find their rest in you. And I hope you know a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is where you find your rest, where you can open your eyes to the love that you're looking for, where you can find your peace, where you can find your best life. And when that happens to you, then it can start happening through you. And you'll be a better lover for other people. Because sometimes the best way you can ever love is just by being with someone. So the way that God does love is being with us always. But you know what? Being with is the way that we do love as well. It's one of the best ways. And any of us, as we said, can do it. And you know, it's important. Everybody kind of needs this because we're designed as relational beings, as we said, to, like a baby needs food to flourish and nourish. Well, uh, we need relationships. We need people to be with us sometimes. Everybody needs somebody to be with them sometimes. Everybody needs somebody to be with them sometimes. I mean... I could show you a very romantic picture and you'd know exactly what I mean. Go ahead and show the romantic picture of Rose and Jack. Some of you won't get that and you'll ask on the way home and that's fine. Just take it down forget about it. Everybody needs somebody to be with them. You know, isolated people, when you got, start getting cut off and isolated from people, you're statistically, you're more prone to emotional struggles like depression and anxiety. When we go through loneliness, low self-esteem, substance abuse, sexual addiction, boredom, difficulties eating or sleeping, those things are, are often a result of being cut off from withness because we're designed for connectedness. The early church said that the Christians, that they made sure they got together in homes and on the weekends they were always together and with. And there's good science behind this. I guess you probably know this. Like, that's been shown that um, one study showed that if you don't have any meaningful connections, you're not part of any group, you're not part of anything, if you just join one group, you cut in half your risk of dying over the next year. I think that should be our new motto for small groups around here. It's like, join a small group or die. 
We need to push this a little more. Because everyone's beat down by life. We need to be with each other. Everyone needs a cheering section in life. Someone who's for them, shows up for them. A shoulder to cry on. Every, every life needs a prayer to lift them up. Everybody needs a text once in a while that says, I'm, I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture encouragement. Everyone needs a hug just to wrap some arms around them once in a while. And none of those are big things. None of those are hard things. You can do that. Man, it says, I love you. I'm there. Ministry of presence. Show up in the flesh. Be there. Don't have to say a lot. It just sticks around. Sometimes the best thing you ever do is show up. You know what? I, I learned this in a painful but powerful way one time. Very young as a pastor, and I was a chaplain at a hospital. I got a call. It was very sobering. I, I went to the hospital, sat in the ER, and there was this young mom bawling and heaving and sobbing because her husband had just taken her life. I was so far over my head, I did not know what to do. All of my theological training and education and degrees and Bible knowledge went out the window. I froze. I couldn't think of a thing to say, and I said nothing. And I just held her hand. It was a long time. About six months later, she tracked me down through the hospital and sent me a note. I'll never forget it. She said, Thank you for not talking. Now, there's something a minister loves to hear. <laughs> but she said, somehow your presence there was what I needed. There's something holy that happens when you just show up. Sometimes, shut up. Ministry of presence. Let me ask you a question. Where do you need to practice the ministry of presence, do you think? Is there a name that comes to mind, a place, an environment where just kind of being more fully there, showing up? Or here's another question for you. Who do you need to let know, hey, I'm there for you, I'm here for you? Who is that? And how will you do that? This next week, we're doing these Love Does Challenges. I hope you'll get online on Instagram and Facebook and follow along with these challenges and hashtag it out, Love Does MCC. Tell the story. This week, we're going to focus on practicing presence, just being with someone. Maybe it's someone who's homebound, sitting quietly with someone. Maybe it's someone, a, a, a child in your family that you just need to be more intentional about, someone that, that God is looking for you to practice the ministry of presence. And for some of us, we're so busy, you might have to get out your to-don't list and start a to-don't list and write some stuff down that you won't do in order to make some time so you can, you can spend some time with someone. Hey, can we talk really super practically for a few minutes? Would that be okay? Let's just get down to brass tacks. Let's talk about a couple of environments, just family and friends, where this is, you don't have to go looking for strangers. You can do it with strangers, but you know what? Ministry of presence, sometimes the relationship we already have. Let's talk about family, okay? Now, I don't know what kind of baggage and struggle and hassle you have with your family, okay? I, I'm sure it's terrible. All right, listen. Let's, let's work on the ministry of presence, because even though we're in proximity and using the same space sometimes, we're not really with each other. And sometimes that's just the way we need to love. What if we just, can I just throw three things out that would probably be a game changer for all of us in families? If you're in a family, and I know not all of us are, but if you live with some folk, what if we just looked at these three things differently? Bedtime, dinner time, and car time. If we got more intentional, more on purpose about really being with each other when we can at bedtime, dinner time, and car time, wow, that'd be a game changer. Am I right? I bet I'm right. You know, bedtime, sometimes that's, you know, when your kids are little, it's obvious. When your kids get older, sometimes it's still important. Just to sort of, maybe you're just sitting on the bed and just talk. Some of the best chats that 
Ellie and I have had recently have happened just when we both should have been in bed. Being with. Mealtime. You know, there's an old saying that goes, Satan can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Because he gets the same result sometimes. And in families, we're so busy with school and parent, you know, with, with sports and activities and going everywhere and it pulls us apart. And when we're apart, we're not with and, and then we're not where we need to be. You know, research actually shows, parents, here's a statistic you might be interested in. There's one thing, one specific activity that a parent could institute that would accomplish all of the following, statistically speaking. It would give your child a 40% greater chance of getting A's and B's in school. It would make your child three times less likely to smoke pot or cigarettes. It would help teenagers know their parents are proud of them. It would help kids realize they can confide in their parents about serious issues. And it would help a child have a chance of obesity reduced by 40%. Do you know what the one thing is that would do all that stuff, statistically speaking? You know what it is? Some of you think, well, is it pray together? Is it go to church together? Is it make a family mission statement? What is it? You know what? All those things are good, but the, the, the number one thing is eat dinner together on a regular basis, share a meal, sit down, and eat. It's fascinating. It's been studied over and over again. Kids who sit down at the table with their families regularly, they do better in school, they're in life, they're more stable, they're less apt to get in trouble. And the leading common denominator of high achievers and successful people in our society, you know what it is? It's not IQ, it's not wealth, appearance, intelligence, or family background, you know what it is? It's eating dinner together. Honestly, isn't that bizarre? And I think it's because when we sit down and we go to dinner like that, we realize we're going to talk, we're going to listen, we're going to share, we're going to make it a fun place to connect and relate to each other, we're going to pray, we're going to slow down the pace, we're going to just try to, try to get past whatever frustrations we have in the moment just to be with each other. We are more healthy because it's how God made us and we feel a hunger more than the one for our belly, but the hunger we all long for and that is to be with people. So dinner time, let's be more intentional about it. And if a kid says after garbling three things down his throat real quick, can I be excused? Sometimes it's okay to say, no. We're spending a few minutes together here because real presence with someone at the table, sometimes more important than a few minutes of homework or getting back to that Snapchat with 14 other friends or the video game that is eagerly calling their name. Sometimes, dinner table, where you laugh and connect and just try to be together can create an appetite for what we really want, and that's not the food on the table, that's being with. And, and car time, just what if we just maximize and make a bigger deal out of when we're together in the car, um, being with each other, connecting, asking a, a question, and then just listening for the answer. Kids, I've harped on this before, if there's another human being in the car who happens to be driving you to soccer or something like that, just remember, they really are a human being. So you can look up from your phone and talk to them, it's okay. You really can. Sometimes I think we need to leave the devices away from the dinner table. I mean, I got food stains on my phone. Why is that? It used to be when I was a kid, we'd sit there at the table and we're looking down like this or it's because we're hiding food. Now it's looking like this because we're, we're texting. It's like, can we just leave them away from the dinner table? Who would like to see that for one, one meal this week? Can we just leave the phones away from the dinner table? You're not going to have to Google to see if someone's lying about something at the dinner table. You'll, you'll be okay if you don't have your phone. Just leave it away. And in the car, maybe we have a screen Sabbath in the car sometimes. Be with someone. I think we're like, I saw this kid playing, playing um, 
uh, chess. He was like a chess master, this genius whiz kid, and he's playing like 14 games of chess at one time. He's just like, he, he goes here, takes one look at the screen, you know, at the board, he, he makes a move. Goes to the next board, takes size it up, makes a move. Goes to the next move. And I think that's how kids today communicate. And all of us are learning to communicate this with all these different communications. And sometimes we need to just say, you know what, I'm going to play one game of chess with one person and we're just going to kind of slow down and, and talk. And, and, I, and I think it's not just kids. I think it's all of us who are addicted to our phones. Family. Is a, is a big place to practice the ministry of presence. Let me tell you a story that I think just is so cool and, and illustrates the power of presence. just happened uh, a, a few months ago uh, when uh, Kim, Michael from our church here, went on one of our mission trips to Africa. And she was so excited, but she had no idea what was about to happen there because what she didn't know is that her husband, Bobby, uh, was going to help her with a surprise. She and Bobby had been sponsoring through Compassion International a child for, for this child's whole life. Sponsor this kid up through school. He graduates high school. They stay in touch. And they sent a computer to him, and they helped him through. He's, he's ready to graduate with an architectural engineering degree now. But they're still in touch, a big part of each other's lives, but they'd never met. Bobby knows Kim's going to Africa. He's thinking, well, that's kind of close to Rwanda. So, I mean, Rwanda's close to Kenya. So he calls and gets in touch, buys a plane ticket for their sponsored kid who's now an adult, tells him which airport, what time. He flies over, walks two hours, waits for hours in the airport with a sign, knows what she looks like by pictures. And when she gets off the plane, he goes up to her and says, are you Kim? Here's a picture of their meeting in the airport last summer. I'm going to tell you what. She was so blown away. They cried. They wept. They hugged. They held. They had a great conversation. The whole thing lasted less than 10 minutes because she had to go on. And he turned around and both of them would say it was well worth it. Wow. What that reminded me of is not only what a bad expenditure that was on his part to do. No, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that. <laughs> It tells me this, if Uwatanze can fly to another country and walk for two hours for ten minutes from someone in his sponsored family, man, I want to do a better job of being with my family. Maybe you do too. Some of us have been following the story of dear little Addie who just died uh, a few days ago. Little Addie was, I think, about six years old. It's been all over Facebook. We've been praying. Her dad, Chris Harding, uh, sent us a note, and it was just, he was so grateful. He was saying so many powerful things, but one of the powerful things he said was, thank you for the daddy-daughter dance, because he and Addie went to the daddy-daughter dance. Here's a picture of them. This just happened at Mountain recently. Hundreds and hundreds of dads and daughters. They didn't know anything about her illness at that moment, at that night. They had just come together to be together, and he could not stop talking about how important that night was, how meaningful it was to them in their relationship, the best night of her life, dancing and looking around the room and all the dads with their daughters dancing. He just said, that memory holds a special place in my heart because now I've lost my little girl, but he wanted to thank us for holding that night. Now, that's kind of an emotional thing, but I, I, here's my point. I don't think I need to tell you how glad that dad is that he invested time in his daughter. And maybe it'll inspire some of us to be with someone who's with us now, but we don't know how long they will be. Because when it comes to family, the best way you can love them is love them while you can, and the best way you can do that is sometimes just be with them. And you don't have to fly across the country, and you don't have to get all dressed up and go to a dance to do it. Hey, let me just tell you a couple things about friends as well. Friends. 
Sometimes the best way to be with someone is to just be with them. And, you know, here's a scripture, Proverbs 18.24. Here's what it says. There are so-called friends, and we all know what that's like, people who pose as friends, but they're unreliable and they really only destroy each other. They're not good for us. They're not good for them. But a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Galatians 6 says this in the New Testament. Brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, they're in trouble, you know, they're, 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 you, know they're living, you who are living by the Spirit, if you're connected to God, you should help restore that person. Get them back where they need to be with God. But watch yourself, so, or you also may be tempted. And then it says this in verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the command of Christ. The command of Christ is to love each other. How do we fulfill the command to love each other? Carry each other's burdens. Sometimes you just help carry the load. Man, our family, we love the Lord of the Rings. And there's that classic scene where Frodo and, and Sam, they've left the Shire a long, long time ago. They're on a long journey. This band of unlikely comrades with Aragorn and Gimli and Gandalf and all that, they've all fallen off through all these radical adventures. At one point, Frodo says, I've got to go alone and carry the ring through Middle Earth all the way up. And, and Sam says, of course you'll go by yourself and I'm going with you. I love that line. Friends are like that. And finally, as they're heading up Mount Doom, he's collapsed, he's exhausted. Frodo can't go another step. He's feeling the power of evil in his life. He's exhausted and he can't get the ring out of his hand to get up and, and cast it away. And in that moment of utter desperation, his friend Sam says, do you remember the good things? Do you remember the taste of strawberries and the smell of grass on your feet? And he says, no. He's about ready to die. And in that moment, Sam speaks to him words. And I want you to watch a short clip in that very moment as you think about what kind of friend you are called to be. In the way of fire, I can see him with my waking eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. And that's the kind of love that God has given to us. And now it's the kind of love that you're invited to give to someone else, to be with them in a way. Maybe you've got a friend who needs you to help. You can't carry, you can't carry everything for them. But maybe some way, somehow, a little way, you could help carry them a little bit carry their burden maybe it's a friend who's battling cancer maybe it's a friend who's battling a legal battle a custody battle a, a depression battle a loneliness battle a, a battle of insecurity I don't know but I hope that uh, this week you'll feel the love of God more closely intimately and then be able to share it so let me encourage you um, to play along with this, what we're doing on social media and uh, engage in the challenges that come each day. Check out Facebook and Instagram and there they come. Hashtag love does MCC. 
We've heard some great stories so far, and they're kind of fun to read. Let's look at a couple from last week. Here's, uh, here's the first one. Uh, Mom and Dad, clean floors and bathrooms mean I love you. Now, I'm assuming that means she did that for them rather than they did it for her. If so, I want that girl in my house. Um, let's go to the next one. Bought coffee for the person next in line. I hope it was a nice start to their day. That's cool. Love does. So it's the next one. Two cups of coffee for the two strangers behind me. Awesome. And leaving gas money for a stranger. That's fun. Hope they left more than that dollar bill. Uh, uh, had lunch with one of my board members today in Falson. Picked, lunch picked up by the booth behind me. Turns out the booth behind him was a bunch of Love Does Mountain people. So here's the deal. What are you going to do? I hope you do something. Everybody right now, reach in front of you. The seat back in front of you at all of our campuses. Reach in front. There's a little piece of paper. It says Love Does MCC. Everyone go get a piece of paper right now and you're going to need something to write with. Get, get your pen out. Get a piece of paper. Get, get this piece of paper. Look at it. Okay? I'm going to wait on you. So go ahead and grab it. Uh, fidget around if you're in the front row. You might have to reach behind you, whatever. So uh, Love Does MCC Challenge. Here it is. Practice the Ministry of Presence this week. Here's some ideas. One, you could dedicate 27 minutes to a family member who needs your love. Or you pick another amount of time. Who is that? Or maybe this. Spend 30 minutes writing heartfelt notes of encouragement to people who need it. That'd be cool. Or you could write five minutes if that's all you got. How about this one? Visit a neighbor or friend who needs your presence. Stop thinking about it. Just do it. Who needs you to be present with them? Or you can write your plan. Why don't you write down your plan? I'm going to give you about 30 seconds right now. Write something down. Write something down. One way you could be with. Simple. Write it down. I'll wait. Write it down. I'm watching. You can uh, write on that all week or whatever you decide to dream up is good. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you write on your paper. It doesn't matter at all what you mean to do right now. You know why? Because love does. So write it if it'll help, but do it. Let me pray for you. God, we're grateful for the way Jesus has loved us. And now we just say, Lord, will you help us to love in return? In Jesus' name, amen.